In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, today's parable is a kingdom of heaven parable. And in fact, this 13th chapter of St. Matthew is full of these kingdom of heaven parables. In these parables, God is likened to a king who rules over a territory. And of course, the territory of a king is called a kingdom. So God's kingdom is the entire world because of the fact that he's the creator of the world. But within this general kingdom of God, which constitutes the whole world, there's also a more specific kingdom, and which was originally the people of Israel. So God ruled that kingdom more particularly, giving to the people of Israel the commandments and the regulations by which they should have ruled their moral and religious life. As you know, um, it's related in the Old Testament how God established a covenant with the people of Israel. He wanted to make of them a holy kingdom, a kingdom set apart. But this idea was not realized because they did not fulfill their part of the bargain. Um, Because of their obstinacy and wickedness, they violated the covenant and thereby sort of relinquished the rights that would have accrued to them if they had kept their side of the deal. And this is why God willed to establish another kingdom, a second kingdom, one that would not have the shortcomings of the first kingdom. For this second kingdom, God would send his own son. He's not going to send Moses. He's not going to send prophets. He's going to send his own son to establish that kingdom. And his son is going to be able to do what these previous prophets we're not able to do. That is, he's going to be able to actually redeem us from the sins that really had no solution in the first kingdom. In the first kingdom, there was no real remedy for sin. So this son would descend from the royal line of the first kingdom. The first kingdom had human kings. Um, Our Lord, of course, descends from that royal line of Judah. He's a son of David. But he's also God. And as such, since, since this new king of the second kingdom is also God, the second kingdom extends to all nations. While the first kingdom was just for the people of Israel, for a select group of people, the second kingdom extends to all nations, to the entire world. From east to west and from north to south, the whole earth is included in the boundaries of the second kingdom. The second kingdom is a Catholic or universal kingdom. Also, another characteristic of the kingdom is that it is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a secular kingdom. It's not a a question so much of establishing states as really establishing the reign of God in the hearts of people. It's about making the world holy, bringing holiness to the human race. Of course, that's going to... uh, People are going to to have to... um, include the, the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ in their laws in order to properly affect this. But the kingdom of God as such is by its nature a spiritual kingdom, not a secular kingdom. So it comes from heaven, it's from God, it's divine, it's founded and, and guided by God himself, and it's going to last forever. The first kingdom had a certain limited time and it went away. But this second kingdom will never end. It will go on forever. So, in today's parable, our Lord, 
the king sent by God to instantiate the second kingdom, he instructs us on the nature of that kingdom. He tells us what the kingdom was like, and especially he, he informs us of three things regarding good and evil in that kingdom. The origin of good and evil in that kingdom, the development of good and evil in that kingdom, and then the final result of good and evil as they work themselves out over time in that kingdom. So, our Lord says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing good seed in his field. And he means that the kingdom of heaven is like God himself, the divine majesty God, working in his church. But then an enemy comes at night time, and the workers are sleeping. This doesn't mean that God is sleeping. God doesn't sleep. It's not like God is, is unaware of, of what's going on, or is not a, unaware of what Satan is doing. But the image of sleeping, of the workers sleeping while the enemy comes, is an indication that the work of the devil um, is such that he comes in secret, such that he's not perceived. It's a hidden activity. And the enemy sows seed in the field over the seed of the field's owner, God. And that second seed is of a plant that really looks exactly the same as the wheat. When the wheat comes up, and it's just a stalk, and it's just got green leaves, and the, and the weed comes up, and it's got its stalk and green leaves, they look exactly the same. And the only way to tell them apart is when they actually get to the point where they produce fruit, where, where they flower. And then at that point, people realize we've got two different plants in this paddock that are growing together. And the servants of the master are shocked when they recognize that these weeds are present amidst the wheat. They know that the ground has been carefully weeded. They know that the cockle had not sprung up in such abundance in previous years. In the past, I mean, you have a weed here or there, but not all throughout the field. And then they know as well that only good seed had been sown. But they see a regular pattern with these weeds. Or they appear everywhere. And this leads them to ask the master what has happened. The master knows something that they do not know. And this is that he has an enemy who hates him and wants to destroy his, his fields and his produce. So it's obvious to the master that it's definitely an enemy who is responsible for the appearance of these weeds. And he knows that the only thing that can be done is really to wait until the time that the wheat be harvested. We've reached too late of a stage to uproot the weeds because they've grown together so closely. If we uproot the weeds, the wheat plants are also going to be uprooted and then everything will be destroyed. So we just have to wait until the end of the harvest. We cut everything down and then we sort the two bundles of, of plants and we put the wheat in the barn and we, we bundle up the weeds and we burn them. Later in this chapter, 13, when, which as I say is uh, called the day of parables. Our Lord, uh, there's seven parables in, in Matthew chapter 13. Um, seems among the parables that, that our Lord was speaking on that day, the apostles really wanted to know what was the signification of this parable. Because they go to him and they say, what did you mean by that parable about the seed and the weeds? 
And, and you might know that there's this, this image of the seed is, is a very um, a popular one with our Lord. He likes to use the image of the seed more than any other image in his parables. But the apostles, they specifically want to know what is the meaning of this parable of the weeds and the wheat. So our Lord gives them an explanation. It's not in today's gospel, but if you keep reading in chapter 13, you'll see that the explanation is there. He says, the sower is the son of man. It's himself. Whereas the field is the world, since the kingdom of our Lord is universal. And the good seed that he scatters in, in other parables is, is his word. It's his gospel. But he says in this parable, the good seed and the bad seed are people. They're actual uh, members of the kingdom, some of them good and some of them bad. The, the good seed indicates those who listen to the word of our Lord, who convert and become children of the kingdom, whereas the bad seed are those who are members of the church and yet somehow are not fulfilling the duties of their faith. The enemy, of course, is Satan. He tries with all his might to prevent the good seed from taking root in souls, but rather he tries to sow evil into their souls, have it take root, by his temptations and his attractions. And in this parable, the, the activity of, of Satan is obviously working on Catholics. He's not, he's not, we're not considering the activity of Satan on people who are outside the church. But these, are, these are people inside the church that he's trying to turn away from the proper practice of their faith, trying to undermine their faith. And because in this realm of, of living our faith, it's primarily a thing that happens on the inside. It's not primarily something that's on the outside, it's probably something on the inside. Um, it concerns our interior dispositions. The, de the devil is able to recruit us without being detected. He's able to act in a very hidden way. He's able to insinuate himself into our imaginations, into our associations, um, He's able to get sort of into the soil of our soul without being detected. So he acts in a way that's hidden and is, has, he has many smoke screens. And when we yield to him, we, as it were, start turning into weeds. We start turning into a different plant. We, we, it's like we have a different plant grafted onto the plant of our baptism that starts to produce an entirely different fruit from the supernatural fruits that our Lord intends us to produce. And this is how evil arises in the church, in the paddocks of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our Lord does not will that the evil members of the church be rooted out during this life. In some cases, there's very prominent heretics in the church, and of course, they uh, need to suffer the penalty of excommunication, and they are cut off from the church. Perhaps, you know, if we extended this parable, um, there would be some weeds who are just so enormous um, that you really just have to, to, to uproot them and suffer the loss of, of, of some of the wheat. But for most uh, of the people, most of the time, those who are weeds are fairly hidden, and their presence in the church has to be tolerated until the day of judgment. 
And it's on that day, the day of judgment, that the harvest takes place. And in his explanation of the parable, our Lord indicates what it's going to be like on that day when there's this separation of the wheat from the weeds. This separation, of course, um, happens for each individual person on the day of their particular judgment. But this parable more refers to the general judgment. And our Lord says that the Son of Man will send forth His angels. The angels will be the reapers. The angels will blow their trumpets. They will summon everyone from the dead. And then they will start to separate the good from the wicked. Our Lord Himself will appear in His majesty to render to each one according to His works. And those who uh, give scandal by enticing others to wickedness, those who work iniquity by going against the will of the Father, will be rejected from the kingdom. And this is where the, the image of the burning comes in. The, 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 uh, the wicked will kind of be bundled together in a group. And they will be cast into the fire, where there will be, says our Lord, weeping and gnashing of teeth. People who are in t- intense pain um, are the ones who, who gnash their teeth. Uh, when, when they're not able to, to get rid of the pain, but uh, it's just they have to suffer through it. They just gnash their teeth and, and weep. And this signifies the effect that the fires of hell will have on those who are sent there. Meanwhile, says our Lord, the just will shine as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. They have been, remained in the kingdom of, of our Lord and have uh, produced the proper fruit. And that after, after they're harvested, they will be put in the barn, which is like the uh, mansion of the Heavenly Father, the kingdom of glory, where they will remain forever. So... This parable provides for us the the total explanation for three things about the good and the evil that uh, are found in the church. The origin of that good, the development of that good over time, and then the final result. We know that all goodness has its source in God. And specifically now, after the coming of our Lord, it has its source in our Lord Jesus Christ. All grace comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And He has uh, bought and, and brought for us an infinite treasure of graces, a limitless treasure of graces that are available to us. But there's also evil. There's a lot of evil. And we see so much evil in the church today. There's, there's evil everywhere. There's always been evil in the church. There always will be evil in the church. And in a sense, that's a, that's a bit of a comfort for us. To know that this is predicted by our Lord in this parable. The evil is not meant to be rooted out in, uh, completely until the end of the world. So we, we see this verification of the fact that there's always going to be evil. It comes from the abuse of the free will that God has given us. It comes from succumbing to these temptations of Satan. He, Satan is the one who has established himself as the head of all those who rebel against God. It's... Uh, the sinners who willfully turn themselves away from God and who subject him, themselves to the devil and, and by doing so become enemies of God and cause damage to the church. Um, they injure the church. 
to a greater or lesser degree depending on how public of a position they have in the church. So it's, it's really the duty for all of us because we are planted in the field of our Lord. We are members of His kingdom. We have the grace to be members of the Catholic Church, be members of this kingdom of God, to be growing in the paddock of our Lord. We have this duty to make sure that the good that our Lord and the Church communicates to us develops in our souls, that we truly grow up to be upstanding um, wheat in, in, the, in, the, in the paddock of our Lord. We have to patiently and perseveringly cooperate with grace. We have to keep ourselves pure from this world. We have to strive to grow in holiness. We have to stay close to the sacraments, being faithful to our prayers. I think we especially have to be careful about the secret entrance of evil into our lives. How easily we develop little habits or little inclinations. And we might think with, with a certain flippancy that it's really not a big deal. This or that behavior, it may be a little bit worldly, but it's yet not that bad. And the devil, the devil convinces us somehow that we really don't have to take our spiritual life seriously. That we can somehow kind of do a, do a half-hearted effort and everything will be all right. And he gets us, he sort of draws us in. And after we cross a certain line, we begin to wake up. But then it's too late. The plant is too big. And we say, wow, I've got this habit in my life. This, this habit of sin or th- this habit of, of behavior um, or this disordered inclination. And I want to get rid of it. I'm realizing it's gotten, it's gotten too, it's starting to, to take over. But in a sense, it's, it's much, much easier to root it out at the beginning. When the seed begins to grow in us without us noting, noticing it, we start to become anxious, restless, or dissipated. We find that sadness starts to take over our lives. We realize we're becoming weak. That we're finding ourselves increasingly powerless to resist temptations. And it's at that point we, we might say, I, I need to do something about it because this, this weed that, that is nourished by self-love is starting to flourish in my soul. I need to, to cut it off. Perhaps it's been watered by worldly entertainment. Perhaps it's choking the good seed in our lives by taking over our minds with this obsessiveness. It's all we can think about. Perhaps it's blocking the sun of grace by its heavy shadow on our soul. And we need to do something about it. We have to be very careful tending the garden of our souls. Especially today, we can, we can so quickly injure our souls in such a way that it makes it very difficult for us to regain that perfect health of, of the plants nourished by the grace of God. But there's always hope, and that is that we have not yet reached the time of the harvest. The harvest is a ways off. Both the weeds and the wheat are in our souls struggling for mastery right now. There's some weeding we have to do in our garden. I think all of us have to do some weeding in our garden. But we've got time. Now is the time to do it. Now is, in fact, the only time to do it. We know that the judgment, in fact, is going to come soon. Pretty soon, the angels are going to get out their size. And they're going to to start sweeping them across. 
the, the, the paddock of our Lord to harvest the human race, to summon them from the dead. And we must make sure between now and then that we nourish our soul with the divine goodness and we refuse to feed our soul with the devil's seed. Just think about the souls in purgatory. How much would they give just to have a little bit of time, more time that they, they wasted in this life? They're able to look back now and, and see all the time and how they used it. And now they understand how important it was for them not to take their, their spiritual life as, as something non-important, but, but really to strive with all their might to nourish their souls. They look back, they said, wow, I had so many opportunities to purify my soul, to make my, my plant healthy and tall, and now my time is up. And I have to undergo this purgation without being able to draw any profit from it, any merit. I don't merit for, for, for suffering in purgatory. Nobody merits for suffering in purgatory. You don't get a higher place in heaven for suffering in purgatory. Or even worse, think about the souls in hell. What would they do to have just one hour to come back into this world and change their behavior? When they are in this life, it's like they, the hours were just being given to them with such abundance, hour after hour after hour, communicated to them day after day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 168 hours every single week, almost 9,000 hours in a year, hour after hour after hour, being communicated to them, being given to them. And they weren't using it to save their souls. They were allowing the evil to be, to be nourished, to grow up in their souls. They weren't doing anything about it. They weren't taking care of their souls. We certainly don't want to join the souls in hell. And we also we don't want to join the souls in purgatory either. We want to go straight to heaven. But to do so, we have to make constant use of the goodness that God makes available to us through the church, all of our beautiful Catholic practices. We must use the time that's given to us in this life. Let's especially have recourse to our Blessed Virgin Mary, our mother. She certainly tenderly desires our well-being. She uh, looks out to the, the paddock of her son and um, waters it, as it were, with her benign gaze and, and wishes that, that all of these, her children, uh, are nourished and, and grow up with, with great healthiness. Uh, like any mother, she is very concerned about her children when they are sick. So we have to, to turn to her always, every day of our life, with, with a very great confidence. She will make sure that our soul remains watered with grace. She will certainly be able to prevent the devil from having access there. We have to realize we can't, can't notice a lot of times him working on us. But if we stay close to Our Lady, she will keep him away. She will certainly guarantee that our plant, far from being choked and dying, will flourish in this life and ultimately, when the angels come on that last day, she will make sure that we are harvested and placed in the eternal mansions of our Heavenly Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.